We come now, brethren, to the preaching of the Word, and I invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Romans, and the 11th chapter, the book of Romans, and the 11th chapter this morning, and I will be reading and then preaching on verses 17 through 24. That's Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24. And if you're visiting with us, our custom every Lord's Day is to preach through a book of the Bible. We're currently preaching through the book of Romans, and we're looking at this text for the purpose of explaining and understanding and applying it today. So Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24, and I encourage you to read along silently as I read aloud. Here the Apostle Paul writes, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if the Lord did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and his leadership. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints and this opportunity to gather together in Christ's name. And we would ask now for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and our guide, that he would help us to understand this passage of Scripture and to apply it to our own lives in such a way that Jesus Christ is honored and glorified. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as you'll recall from last week, Paul's focus here in this chapter of Romans is upon God's grace towards the Gentiles. God's grace towards the Gentiles. For although he began this 11th chapter by speaking of a faithful remnant among the physical descendants of Abraham, Paul encourages his Gentile readers especially with the good news that God's grace also extends to them. God's grace also extends to us. For God's saving purposes were much larger than Israel ever imagined or ever expected. In fact, the testimony of the Old Testament prophets hinted at this truth again and again, that God's saving purposes were much larger than people thought. 
and all the nations, according to the Psalms, will know God throughout the earth. All the nations will sing and be glad because the redemptive purposes of God will include people of every tribe and every nation with Gentiles, people like you and I, being among them. Therefore, it's not surprising, given Paul's knowledge of the Old Testament prophets and given the Spirit's work in Paul, that Paul would address here in Romans chapter 11, the grace of God as it went forth towards the Gentiles. The grace of God as it travels forth to people like you and I. And of course, as we saw last week, Paul spoke of God's work among the Gentiles in a very positive way, although Paul himself, you'll remember, was an Israelite. For he recognized that the Israelites do not pose, or excuse me, the Gentiles do not pose a threat to the Israelites, but they were chosen by God to enjoy the same spiritual riches that Israel had chosen to set aside because of her unbelief. For Paul stated back in Romans chapter 11 and verse 12 that Israel's failure had meant spiritual riches for the Gentiles. The difficult things that happened to Israel happened for our good in that it facilitated the transfer of the gospel from them to us. Even though the gospel went to them first, you and I have received it as well. In fact, you recall that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, provides us with a record of Paul's teaching ministry when he was in Rome. And Luke recorded Paul as saying in Acts chapter 28 and verse 28, Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. And so Paul did not view the Gentiles, people like you and I, with suspicion or with animosity, like some Jews did, but rather he saw growing numbers of Gentiles expressing a real saving interest in the gospel and in the things of God. And Paul endeavored to use what he witnessed in God's work among the Gentiles as a way of provoking his own brethren, his own kinsmen, to faith in Jesus Christ. Then secondly, we saw last week that Paul viewed God's work among the Gentiles positively because Paul was called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He was called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And his apostleship or his ministry among them was something that Paul took very seriously. It was something that Paul, although an Israelite, found great delight in sharing the gospel with Gentiles. In fact, Paul wrote in verse 13 of this 11th chapter, I magnify my ministry. I delight in my ministry. I rejoice in my ministry. For not only was it a great stewardship for Paul to fulfill, but it was a great opportunity for Paul to further the cause of Christ for both the Gentiles and the Israelites alike. For as an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul could reveal to the Gentiles, to people like you and I, the riches of the gospel, which had been hidden to us for ages. 
While on the other hand, he could use his own identity and his own testimony as a believing Israelite to provoke his kinsmen to jealousy and to demonstrate to them that God has not forgotten his chosen people, Israel, although they had forfeited the riches of the gospel through their hard-heartedness and their unbelief. And so, as I mentioned last week, Paul stood, in a sense, at the crossroads of redemptive history, as the riches that the Gentiles had never known before, and only the Jews had known before, were transferred to the Gentiles directly. And at a time when his own ministry to the Gentiles was expanding in its influence. And needless to say, Paul needed to be able to explain why are these things happening? We can understand this, can't we? People would ask, why is the gospel going to the Gentiles now instead of the Jews? Paul needed to be able to explain those things and to do so in a way that the Israelites on the one hand were not demeaned and they were not relegated to a place of insignificance, while the Gentiles, on the other hand, were not becoming proud and arrogant because of the blessings that they were now receiving, because the Gentiles, at their very best, were only debtors to grace. At their very best, they were not entitled to anything but to God's grace and mercy. And that's where we stand today as well. What we are today, we are by the grace of God. Everything that we have is a gift we are debtors to grace. We are not entitled to anything. All that we have is because of the mercy and kindness of God. And thus Paul's purpose here in our text this morning is to highlight how the grace of God is at work in both groups. How the grace of God is at work in the Israelites who have come to Christ and how the grace of God is at work in us who are Gentiles and to stress how we how we benefit from one another and to stress how there should be humility and appreciation between those whom God is at work within. Let us notice beginning here in verse 17 through 19. I wanted to start looking at the text now that Paul continues his address to the Gentiles by reminding them of who they were in view of the Gentiles, excuse me, who they were in view of the Israelites who were the first fruits, and in view of the tree that God was graciously building, cultivating, maintaining. For Paul writes here, notice beginning in verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Now, Paul's saying a lot here, so let me try to unfold and unpack it a little bit. It's important to note first the language that Paul uses here to describe the Israelites and the Gentiles that he is addressing. First, in writing this section as a whole, Paul uses a metaphor here from the world of horticulture, from the world of horticulture, or from the practice of garden cultivation and maintenance. 
garden cultivation and maintenance. And more specifically, Paul refers to the practices that surround the cultivating and the maintenance of olive trees. So I want you to think about yourself or think about God in this context as a gardener, as one who is cultivating and maintaining olive trees. For not surprisingly, olives which are cultivated and maintained in groves and orchards all throughout Palestine were an accepted emblem or symbol of ancient Israel. Paul wants us to envision a cultivated olive tree as representing the people of God collectively with the patriarchs of old like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob representing the roots the Israelites, the tree's branches, and Gentiles like us representing wild olive shoots that have been grafted into the tree. Needless to say, these metaphors are, are very appropriate because each of these groups have been the recipients of God's grace, and each of these groups God has been working in. They all grow from the same source. And it is God who planted and maintains all of them. In fact, God has been and God still is the master gardener. And of course, Paul's appeal to us as Gentiles here in verses 17 through 19 is that we should see that what has happened to the Israelites and what has happened to us is a part of God's activities as a gardener. It's a part of God's activities in cultivating and maintaining his own orchard, his own vineyard, or I should say his own grove in this context, which he has a right to dress which he has a right to prune and to trim as he sees fit. <laughs> Amen. And with respect to the unbelieving Gentiles, excuse me, the unbelieving Israelites, Paul is dealing with them as he would deal with the unfruitful branches of what should be a fruit-bearing tree. With the unbelieving Israelites who are unfruitful branches, he has broken them off in order to provide more room and more resources, more sap within the tree for the growth of the fruitful branches. And so it is for the overall health of the tree that the unfruitful or the lifeless branches have been broken off and now greater attention is given to those areas that are more responsive to growth, which explains why the growth of the tree has been more centered on Gentiles now instead. As for the Gentiles, Paul identifies them, he identifies us in verse 17 as a wild olive shoot. A wild olive shoot. And I think this is an appropriate metaphor because we were once wild by nature, were we not? And we are not native to the tree that was originally planted. And yet God in his mercy and grace and for his own purposes has made us part of his grove. He has made us a part of his orchard. How so? Well, in two ways, according to verse 17 here. First, by grafting us in among the others. 
by grafting us in among the others. And this metaphor of ingrafting is simply a reference to our being spiritually united with Jesus Christ. For when the Spirit united us to Jesus Christ, we were added into, we were fused into the native tree that represents the fruitful and eternal life that God alone produces. And we were joined with other branches that make up the whole tree in all of its spiritual beauty. Then secondly, we're made to share presently in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Notice that language, the nourishing root of the olive tree, meaning that we were made by grace partakers of the same spiritual blessings as the earlier patriarchs enjoyed. In fact, one commentator of older times wrote these words, Having been made to share now in the nourishing root of the tree, we are called and we are considered to be sons of Abraham. That's what happens when you're grafted in. You are now a son of Abraham. For being in Christ means that we are now Abraham's spiritual offspring according to the promise. Furthermore, as spiritual offspring, we now share in the same fatness of the olive tree, the same substance, the same protection, the same means of salvation, the same glorious gospel ministry, the same ordinances, the same church family as those who make up the root. And thus we're no longer disadvantaged as Gentiles. That's the message. We are no longer outcasts. We are no longer wild roots. We are no longer separated from the promises of God, but we are accepted in the beloved just as much as the Israelites. Needless to say, these are tremendous blessings for us to possess, considering that we are by nature, as I said, wild shoots and not entitled to any blessings. And yet because of this engrafting, because of this nourishing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you and I as Gentiles are now part of the tree. Beloved, it is a great blessing to be a part of the tree the tree that God owns, the tree that God cultivates, the tree that God cares for. And how this should cause us to respond with joy, not with pride, not with arrogance, but with gratefulness and with appreciation for the grace that has now joined us together with both the root and with the branches as well. For notice Paul writes here in verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches, the branches representing the Israelites who once were at the center, but who now are not. But if we are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And so what Paul is saying here in our text is that while we should understand our new status in Christ, while we should appreciate the privileges that we now enjoy as Gentile believers, we should not be arrogant. We should not be high-minded. We must not begin to think and act as though we are now superior to the branches or to begin to think that we are now superior to those who represent the root. 
And no doubt Paul is expressing these warnings to us because he knows the human heart. Paul, as an apostle to the Gentiles, knows the Gentile heart. He knows our hearts. He knows the heart of those who claim to be redeemed. He knows the subtle temptation that all of us face to rise up and to take pride in who we are and to look down upon others because of their unbelief or because of their broken state and to boast in the fact that we are in a better state and in a better condition that they are in. And yet Paul is also saying, remember who you are not. Remember who you are not. Have the humility to accept who you are supported by. Paul says you are not the root. You are supported by the root. You are supported by those whose sacrifice and service helped you, in a sense, get where you are by the almighty grace of God. For Paul says, remember, it is not you who support the root, because there must be a strong root system first before any tree can grow and before any wild olive shoot can be engrafted. In fact, to overlook this fact is to simply be ignorant of how a tree grows and how a tree is cultivated. Furthermore, Paul urges us to remember here that the root of the tree does not depend upon the olive shoots that have been grafted in, but it is the root, as I said, that supports and gives stability to the olive shoots. And therefore, not only is it arrogant to boast that we are superior to the branches, but it also shows that we are not fully aware of how dependent we are upon the grace of God ourselves. We would be nowhere without the root. We would be nowhere without the grace of God. We must be aware of our own spiritual vulnerability. We must be aware of our own spiritual dependency. Because if we're not, we can place ourselves at serious risk. In fact, Paul confronts our tendency towards spiritual arrogance again in verses 19 and 20 here in the passage. Notice verses 19 and 20. He says, Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. And the I is kind of the haughty I that I might be grafted in. That is true. You were grafted in. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast because of faith. So do not become proud, but fear. And of course, Paul's words here in verse 20 about their standing fast in the faith were not intended to puff them up. Paul's not trying to puff them up even more here but to remind them that they as Gentile believers were only able to stand because of what God had given to them. What had God given to them? He had given them the gift of faith. The gift of faith. They were able to stand only because of the gift of faith. Whereas the same gift had not been given to the branches that were broken off. And needless to say, this is one principle we need to keep in mind as we, we reflect upon God's goodness to us. For any faith that we possess 
any faith that we possess that enables us to be steadfast, that enables us to be fruitful, is the result of God's work in us. It's not the result of our goodness. It's not the result of anything that we have done. Because we do not have such inherent faith ourselves. Rather, this faith is supernaturally created in us through the work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God together. And when this supernatural faith is created within us, it will not lead us to arrogance. It will not lead us to boasting. It will lead us to genuine humility, humbleness, lowliness of heart and mind, thankfulness, gratitude, appreciation. It will lead us, Paul says, to a healthy fear. Interesting expression. You wouldn't necessarily expect fear to be here, but I think you understand the sense in which he means it here. Not a dread or um, uh, a frightening view of God, but a respectful, reverent view of God and who we are. This leads to a healthy fear. And why does Paul urge us to be fearful rather than to be boastful? Because while we are easily tempted to view ourselves as being strong and unsusceptible to unbelief, the reality is that we possess the very same weakness that others do. We could find ourselves under the same chastisement from God as the master gardener if we are not truly humble. That's the message here, true humility. Paul writes here in verse 21 of Romans chapter 11, notice this, if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Those are sobering words. You are not exempt. I am not exempt from the requirement to be truly grateful and humble and appreciative. Therefore, the true path that we are called to walk as Gentiles, as those who have been grafted into the olive tree, is not the path of spiritual arrogance, not the path of self-sufficiency, but the path to humility and dependency. Humility and dependency. For the decision to graft us in was never ours to begin with. Notice that. We didn't graft ourselves in. The decision to graft us in was God's choice. It was God's choice to make wild olive shoots and to make them a part of the same tree as the root and the branches. And the way that we demonstrate that we are truly part of the tree is by our regard for the other members of the tree and by our fear of God. For what characterizes those who have been successfully grafted into the tree is their understanding that they are what they are, as I said before, by the prerogative of Almighty God, and that they have access to, they are impacted by His kindness and His severity. In fact, Paul says this very thing in verses 22 and 23. Notice what he says here. For he writes, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. 
So what is Paul actually communicating here? I think several things. First, he's stressing that God is, is not to be mocked. God is not to be misunderstood. Nor are those who claim to be a part of his grove or his orchard to arrogantly assume that they are entitled to his protection and his sustained care. For there is a severity with God. Notice that. There is a severity with God. There is a point in time in God's sovereign prerogative where enough unbelief is enough. There is a time when branches can be broken off. Even those who once appeared to be in a place of privilege can be broken off. That's the message here. That's the hard side of this truth. In fact, Paul points here in verse 22 to God's severity to those who are fallen to those who fall through continual and intentional unbelief. And yet there is also God's kindness to consider, right? God's kindness, which should be valued very highly. Paul emphasizes here in verse 22 that this kindness has been shown to us, to the Gentiles. And this kindness of God, brethren, has been remarkable. Remarkable. Look back over your life as a believer and think about how remarkable the kindness of God has been to you. Consider just briefly for a moment where you came from. Consider where you are now. Yes, there is severity with God. There is a time when enough is enough, but there is such great kindness with God. There is such great mercy, and we have been the recipients of that. And with respect to this kindness, we are not only to acknowledge it, we are not only to appreciate it, but Paul says here in verse 22 that we are to continue in it. We are to continue in it unless we are also cut off. Where the primary evidence that we are truly members of God's royal orchard is whether the kindness that we claim to have received continues within us. Whether it continues to move us in service and fruitfulness and kindness to him, because if it doesn't continue, we deserve to be cut off. Ooh, let me say that again. If it doesn't continue, then we deserve to be cut off. What? To make room for those who are to make room for those who are faithful, to those who are fruitful. And yet, Paul concludes this section here in verses 23 and 24 with the assurance that even in the case of those who have been cut off, there's the possibility of mercy and restoration. So even as I just said in our hearing today that we could be cut off, that there could be a time when we might face God's chastisement, even in saying that, Paul comes back again and says, there's the possibility of mercy. There's the possibility of restoration for Paul states here, even they, the ones who were cut off, if they do not continue in their unbelief, or in other words, if they believe, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Again. For the mercy that God has shown to us, which has been remarkable indeed, has by no means been limited or exhausted to mercy that God has shown in the past but it extends to mercy that God may be pleased to express in the future. 
Paul writes here in verses 23 and 24, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nation, nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And of course, this is what we would expect to see, restoration and mercy, as the gospel continues to change the lives of many Israelites and many Gentiles who once responded in unbelief, but who are now given new hearts. And that's what God does through the gospel. He gives us new hearts. May God's word, may Paul's words here in our text this morning truly enrich and expand our understanding of God's saving purposes for ancient Israel and for us as Gentiles today. May our appreciation for both the severity and the kindness of God grow in depth and in spiritual intensity. May we meditate truly this morning upon the kindness of God and what that has meant and what it means to continue in that kindness. May we do so to the praise of God and to his great glory. To God be glory in his church today. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for all that we've heard, and we would ask that you'd help us now to meditate on what we've heard and to receive it as your truth and to understand that this is food for us this morning. This is good spiritual nourishment for us to hear and help us to receive it, to digest it, to apply it in our own lives in such a way that you are glorified. And Father, if there's someone here outside of the Lord Jesus Christ today who is a stranger to grace, who is still a wild root in every sense of the term by nature and in their own circumstances. May you draw them lovingly to Jesus Christ and help them to see their need for this salvation that we've been talking about now for weeks. And may you be pleased to grant them faith. Give them the gift of faith that they might call out to you. Use your word and your spirit today in power to transform our lives that we might truly be kind and gracious and humble people for the grace of God and for the glory of the gospel. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.